<clears throat> there was a little bit more room at the altar, so as long as we're six feet apart, you guys are still welcome to make your way up at times when we have altar calls, so praise God, and I uh, hope you found plenty of room in your homes at home there. Uh, today, the Lord put this on my heart a couple weeks ago, uh, are you ready? And... Um, I think I got an overhead coming, but that's okay, I don't need that. But are you ready? And then last week, as Pastor ended his message, I'm sure you all remember this, but he said the very same words. He said, are you ready? And then he gave us a few scriptures. I'm not even sure which ones he gave us, but it had to do with being ready. And, and it, you know, we were never created to run with other people. The Bible says... If you can't run with horses, how will you ever run with men? In other words, we were never created, once we give our life to Jesus, we were never created to do the normal or the, the, uh, the stay in, clo- you know, in line with, uh, uh, right up there close with men. We were never created to be right there. We were created to go f- and c- even carry men on our back. We were created to help people out. We were created to be horses, and we should be able to run with horses once we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Glory to God. Isn't it something, the privilege we have living for Jesus? Amen. Hallelujah. Got so many scriptures today. Probably won't get them all done, but we're going to get you um, a bunch of good word. <clears throat> There's a big wedding coming up, and God wants to, you to be sure you're ready for it. You know, there's, there's doubts and fears go through people when they get engaged, and they think, you know, why don't we get married? And they say, one of them says yes, and they go home, and I think a lot of times they think about it, especially in the, pers- the ensuing months where maybe you get a fight or two going on, or it's not quite as uh, wonderful as we thought this person might be. And, um, and so, you know, sometimes we hesitate about that wedding, or we just aren't really getting enthused and getting ready for it. Uh, and then there's, of course, those that are head over heels right up to that day, and you're getting ready. Hallelujah. And the Lord wants us today to, to be ready. He wants us to be ready. He does not want us to not make it. There's a couple scriptures in the Bible that, that are scary. Uh, you know, there's only one, the Bible that I can find, there's only one real purpose for divorce. And it, it, that can be a long, long subject. But just one of the strongest reasons, if there is any other reason, if somebody is to get a divorce, the Bible says, because of continual unfaithfulness, someone else is going out on their partner over and over and over again. And uh, in, the, in, the, in the book of Hosea, it says Hosea actually married a, pro, a prostitute, and she kept going out on him, and he'd bring her back for a little while, and she'd go out on him, and he'd, he'd go and get her again and go and get her again. And God let all that happen just so you and I could read that book, and the people around that day and age could look at that and say, that's the way God loves me. He wants me to make it. There ain't no condemnation in this message, and I think the world is getting a little bit... Um, hungry for the truth there's no condemnation in this message and in in isaiah it says why uh, i think it's a chapter 50 but it says why why did i send your mother away with a certificate of divorce even god divorced his people but he didn't do it quickly you'll see hundreds of years of trying to bring them back and then they'd kind of come back and then they leave and he says, it was because of your sins that I put you away. It was because of your, your evil and your wickedness that I put you away. And then he talks later on about how he wants to, he wants to have a, a renewed vow with that same Israel. God wants us to be ready. Throughout the Old and New Testament, it talks about us being referred to as a bride. 
the bride of Christ. Have any of you ever seen or been part of, if you're married, you probably felt this way at least, but you've watched a couple, whether they're married or not, and they're totally so deeply in love with each other, but one of them begins to get so interested in business that they don't really have a relationship anymore. All there is is a business relationship and the other person trying to have a relationship and pulling and pulling. Uh, most of us have, men have probably at least fallen into the busy thing. Women, whatever, aren't innocent all the time. Uh, I'm not saying that. but uh, Or you see a couple... And they're getting, one of them's getting strung out on drugs and they love each other. They love each other dearly. But somehow because the one is strung out on drugs, they keep going the opposite way and they keep causing trouble and they, and they might even be blaming it on the person that's not causing trouble. But it's because they're strung out on drugs or alcohol or some sort of, uh, the Bible calls it pharmakia or f- pharmakus or whatever. I don't know my Greek that well at all. But anyway... That begins to get into the demonic and the witchcraft and everything when, the, when we get involved with drugs. And, and you'll see a marriage begin to fall apart. Even though there's a deep love, there's not the ability to be together. We might have a deep love for God, but we might not have the ability to stay close to him because we haven't taken care of what needs to, that he's given us grace to take care of so that we can actually be close to him. He doesn't want, he, he, he wants you, but he doesn't want to have to keep coming after you. He wants you in a healthy place. He wants you where you're strong and whole and helping him to find, to help others to come to know the Lord. He wants to be our husband. It's such strong language. Do you remember some of you married not too long ago? you remember how thrilling that was? You're going to get married. Wow, I got my friend of a lifetime. I mean, talk about head over heels, jumping inside out. And, and um, you know, that's the way I was. I'm sure that's the way most people are, if, if you're okay in your brain. <laughs> it, just, it just, there's such an excitement, a hope, and a, uh, a fulfillment. And you're waiting for that day to consummate the marriage you're engaged And God, right now, we're engaged if we've given our life to the Lord. If you haven't, you're welcome to come to the altar and do that in your heart. You don't have to come up here to the altar. We're coming to the altar. We're going to have an altar call at the end. I don't know if it's possible for the musicians to come back, but at the end, if it's possible, we want to do that altar song again. If it's not possible, we're just going to play some music, but we'd really like to do that altar song. Um, I just began to say... Throughout the whole Old and New Testament, it's all about us being the bride. If you just kind of read, look, look at Song of Solomon. And it says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. And then he says, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. And so for whatever reason, she's in there alone, and he's out there looking for her. And he finds her, she, he comes to the place and he wants to be with her and uh, later on it talks about she hesitated and so he kept going and then she had to go looking for him and she got all beat up folks we get all beat up a lot of times when we hesitate with Jesus if we're head over heels with Jesus that's in Song of Solomon chapter 5 if you want to study it later but if we hesitate with Jesus we can go through a lot of hardship we didn't have to go through we should we are 
we give our life to him, it's, it's all glorious. It takes me, you know, don't, don't answer this before you hear it. I know we go through persecution and all those things. But it's glorious in our heart. It's amazing. We'll go through hell and high water. We've got him. He's taking care of us. He's blessing us. He's answering prayer. It's all wonderful. And somehow there begins to be, now son, daughter, you need to become a little bit of responsible and do this. And, and you know, if we begin to walk where he's having us walk and listen to our husband and, and do what he's having us do, um, there would be such, because see, the Bible says he's the chief cornerstone. He's the head of the corner, is the word in Greek. He's the head of the corner. He's what holds this whole thing together called the church body. You know, that's really, if, 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 uh, if the devil can mar, I always say the smallest church is the husband and the wife, and then the husband and the wife and the children are the next smallest, and then this body is the next smallest, and then you just keep going out from there, and you've got a worldwide body of Christ, the bride of Christ. The Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife. He's the cornerstone of the family. There's a lot of responsibility on me. I don't want that responsibility, but being as I, became, I came out male, and I know I did, um, my mom told me. But being as I came out male, I have to take up my position and be that male. And if I get married and choose to be married, I need to be the head of the corner. I need to be the smallest church in my family. And I, that takes a lot. That means i got to put my arm around my wife, and i got to get understanding from her and listen to her heart. i got to find out what she's going through. And then i got to say, hey, this is how the Lord's leading us, and we need to find out how this all fits together. And then I need to not leave her back there when the Lord's leading us there, and I don't tell her why, what's going on. I mean... A cornerstone of a family is so important. A cornerstone of the church is so important. And somehow we get away from our cornerstones. And somehow in this earth, our cornerstones don't live up to what and who they should be. I'm giving marriage counseling to a couple that we're going to have married up by Wild Bay here pretty soon. And uh, it's just... Um, it's just amazing the, the magnitude of the responsibility on the man to be humble, to give up their life for their wife and family, to be able to always be not getting so busy like I did so many years of my life that I, I say, yeah, come on, honey, come on, guys, we're going to go. But I didn't take them along with me. And so it's like, where'd they go? Why aren't they coming with me? Well, it's because there was lack of understanding. There was lack of communication. There was lack, the, 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 uh, the vision was more important than the relationship. And guess what? With Jesus, the vision, hallelujah, is never more important than the relationship. Remember I had that dream a while back and the, the, there, we were trying to get to the starting line and one guy fell back and i never seen when he fell back. I didn't know where he got shot or whatever. It was like there was shooting going on. And we got to the starting line and, and then one of the guys were there and we took off running. It was going really good. I had my eyes on Jesus and the crowd that was cheering me on and all of a sudden I realized I'm all by myself. We need to take care of them before they get to the starting line and we need to take care of them after we're running with them, but we get so involved in the vision, we let people fall through the cracks. And it starts with the husband and the wife and the family. It's all that matters is Jesus, 
wife, family, Jesus, husband, family. Put Jesus first. Figure out what he's saying. The Old Testament, replete with scripture. I talked about Isaiah, it's in Jeremiah, it's in Hosea, it's in Song of Solomon. It's in Isaiah again, as a young man marries a woman, so your builder will marry you, so your God will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. You understand how much he likes us, how much he's thrilled for us. Paul said this, Paul saw that when Paul was trying to bring people to Jesus, he said, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere devotion to Christ. Husbands in Ephesians, that's a New Testament verse. Here's another New Testament verse. Husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy. To make her holy. Give myself up for Jenny. Give myself up for my wife to make her holy. To make her totally free. Remember I said that scripture. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1. I hope I'm giving you the right verse. Second Timothy chapter 1. It's in Timothy. Um, you know, it's, it, it's not because of anything we've done. That, uh, that, that he's called us to holiness. It's because of his purpose and his plan. I want her to be completely free. I want her to be completely satisfied. I want her to be completely understanding of the vision that we have as a family, as a husband and wife. God wants you to be completely understanding. He wants you to be completely holy. He wants you to be completely free in the understanding of the vision he's taken us on. He wants to present this bride, us, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. This is a profound mystery, but this bride and husband thing, he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So we're going to look, we might look at three parables today and we might not. But I will definitely speak about three parables today, and one of them is not a parable, so now we're down to two already. The sermon's getting short, right? So the first parable is in Luke 14, verse 1, and also 12 through 23, verse. Ah, look at that. All right. So once, I'm going to read it off of here because I think I have the wrong version down here, but one Sabbath when Jesus went to eat, in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. So you see it says, one Sabbath, there was a prominent Pharisee. It was in a, a prominent, uh, prestigious place. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back and so you'll be repaid. I just want to pause right there. Have, you really, have we really thought about that? You know, we get together in church. We get together in family times. We get together in uh, uh, Bible studies. But it says here, when we have a luncheon, don't invite your friends. Is that what that means? I'll let you guys think about that. Don't invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors. So now we know who not to invite. And when's the last time you didn't invite them? 
This gospel is radical, isn't it? Uh, what's it mean? I'll let you guys decide. It's black and white right up there. But when you give a banquet, invite the crippled and the poor and the lame and the blind. Have we gotten in our heart Jesus yet? Have we gotten to a place where Jesus is? There's so much pain in his heart because of the poor and the crippled and the hurting and the imprisoned. There's so much pain in his heart. So he wants us to invite these people. And then you'll be blessed. Although you, they can't repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And I guarantee you, we're being repaid just because it's more blessed to give than receive. There actually is a huge blessing in just the act. When one of those, those at the table heard him say this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Okay, now what happened here is one of these prominent people at this prominent, fairest, prestigious place began to feel a little twinge of guilt because he knew what the words meant. It meant what it said. And so he's changing the subject. And he's saying, let's get back to heaven. We don't need to talk about this relative stuff, these friend things. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything's ready, now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. First said, I bought a field. I got to go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house began, became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys and town and bring in the poor to cripple the blind and the lame. Let's just leave it there for a minute. Somebody had a field, bought some land. You notice that says past tense. He already bought the land. He says he wants to go see it instead of go to the banquet with the bridegroom. Instead of going to this feast, to this banquet, it's really talking about our marriage supper to Lamb in heaven someday. Instead of that, I got to go enjoy. I got to go look at the spread I bought. I got to really look. I got to just enjoy that. No love for the master. No love for the, the, the person that was inviting them. No respect. No honor. And then there was another one. I got five yoke of oxen. That's a lot of oxen. He says, I bought. That's past tense. I bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go try them out. That's a parable, okay? So I'm going to call that guy an idiot. Every time I read that, that word comes to my mind, idiot. He bought them oxen. I guarantee you he tried them out before he bought them. Guy buying five yoke of oxen. It's like buying one of them big six or four or $500,000 tractors nowadays with the big tracks on them. So I go, I'm going to go try it out now. I bought it. I guarantee you they tried it out first. They started that baby up and they tried it out and the, the, the salesman brought it out in the field to make sure it goes like it's supposed to go. Bought five yoke of oxen. I got to go try them out. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to have a relationship. What was the last one? Got married. Notice that's past tense. This guy is supposed to be the cornerstone of the family. He's supposed to be the head of the family. He's supposed to be the head of the wife. By now, they got married. They should be one. It's like, honey, we've been invited to this banquet. We're going. And she says, that's right. We're going. You know, back in the Garden of Eden, they got it all mixed up. 
The wife said, let's try some of this fruit. Adam said, yeah, that looks good. Adam wasn't being the, the head of the family even back then. But guess what? If we do it like Jesus taught us, praise God. You bring your wife into understanding. Bring her into oneness with you. And then lead that family. I got, a, I got married so I can't come. I got married so I can come. I got married so I can go with my best friend to this banquet. I'm going to heaven with my best friend. Hallelujah. I'm going to heaven. Servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered the servant. You ever see Jesus angry? This is talking about Jesus. I've seen him angry in the Bible a couple times. It's usually because people don't believe. It's, he's looking, it's like he's, he's gruff with them. He says, well, how long is it? You know, the, his disciples couldn't cast out that demon, that one, the demons that one time. Out of this guy who was trying to kill himself, throw himself in the water, throw himself in the fire. The disciples couldn't throw him out, couldn't get him out. And, and, um, and Jesus looked around at him and he said, oh, perverted uh, something and perverted generation, how long do I got to be with you? He looked at his own disciples and how long will you be perverted from believing me? It's, it's, it's a perversion not to believe the creator of the universe. So he was angry. He says, I'll tell you what. There's still room. Verse 23, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Go back to, it says, go out and get the crippled, the poor, the blind, and the lame. I kind of skipped over that. And so they went to the city and the alleyways and all that, trying to find the poor, the crippled, and the lame. And there was still room. And then he went even out to the country, back into, we went out into South Dakota, and out in the little different places in South Dakota, in the little towns that there's one, one family living there. He went everywhere. He's trying to get every single one of them. Don't leave anybody out. There's somebody else in Carpenter that needs to be saved. There's somebody in Zell. There, there's somebody in, what's the one over there? there he knows those, those old Christian names. They got them over here east of town. What are those? There's somebody in them towns need to be saved yet. In the highways and byways. There's people in these alleyways. There's people in these bars. There's people in these churches need to be saved. It's hard to save church people. We won't preach on that today. Will we? Yeah, we will probably. I'm just telling you about the next parable because did we get done with this one? So my house will be full. In uh, Matthew 25, ten virgins are going to go to a wedding banquet and Five of them brought extra oil with them and five of them didn't. And there's different ways in interpreting this scripture. But some people seem to want to leave out details. I want to tell you what. All ten virgins had oil in their lamp. The, the five that didn't have enough said, give us some of your oil because ours is running out. That means they had some. They were all saved. They were all given the anointing oil of Jesus. We're going to look through some scriptures quickly here in a minute. And uh, the answer to each one of these problems that we're going to look at, some of them we're going to look at real quick, 
but some of them we're going to spend just a little time on because the church, as I said earlier, is hungry for the truth. The church is so hungry for the truth. I've been thinking about, I'm on Facebook more than I need to be, but I've been thinking about, as I've been on Facebook, I only ever see scriptures that say how much God loves me. I never hear about how much he's hurting because of my sin. I never hear that I might be going off track because of my sin. And I'll tell you what, I've watched... I won't say that in public. I've watched things on Facebook, and uh, there, there's, we need help. We need to be called back. We're going, through, we're going through something. You know, in South Dakota, I don't know about anywhere else, but in South Dakota, two, two winters ago, we had one of the worst winters ever been in, in the face of the earth. And we were locked up in our houses, locked down in our houses. And I think, I don't know if anybody else thinks about this, but I do. I'm thinking, we got through that whole winter. Then we had a whole summer. Every other day it just rained and poured and water was all over the place. And then we had another winter that wasn't real bad, but it is plenty of snow. That was this last one. And, just, and, and when we got to that winter, right before we got to it, I heard people saying, I'm not ready for winter. We just went through one. We've been locked down for a long time, and it just seems to keep getting worse. And then we had another winter, and then we had a spring around January, and we started hearing something about COVID. The whole world is now locked down in some way or another. The whole world is restricted. God has permitted every one of these things to happen. God has permitted everything. If God worldwide is letting something happen, God worldwide is probably trying to get my attention. He probably wants it to work so that I, would get his, that I would give attention to him. People want to hear the truth. I love it that God loves me, but that doesn't set me free. What sets me free is that I engage in a real relationship with him. I can't say, oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, God. I love you, God. And then continue without any guilt. I mean, it'll help if there's guilt. It'll help if there's something that'll make me twinge and say, God, help me. I didn't, I didn't want to go out and get drunk again. I didn't want to go out and, and look at that pornographic site again. I didn't want to go out and... But I see Christian after Christian after Christian, and they'll tell you they're Christian. They don't think twice about the sin they're in, and they say they're married to him. He's called us to a holy life, and it doesn't condemn me. It gives me hope. He's called me to a holy life, and it makes me so excited to know that he wants me to be whole. And it wasn't because I deserved to be called to be holy or whole or completely pure or completely righteous or completely free. It wasn't because of anything I did. It's just because of his purpose and his, his grace. He likes me. Oh, it's good to know he likes me. Then if I am falling and falling and falling 70 times 7, guess what? He'll bring me up every time. Come on, Mark. Come on, bride. Come on, I'll help you back up. Come on, bride, I'll help you back up. You called me that? Come on, I'll just help you back up. Sometimes you get in a fight with your bride. Jenny's never called me ever a name, but some wives have. <laughs> and and um, as Jesus, we need to just help them back up when they get mad or perturbed. It goes both ways. Wife to your husband, you know, be everything that Jesus can be to your husband as well. Picking on the husbands more than the wives today, I hope. 
I can't be a husband. I can't be a businessman. I can't be a church man. I can't be a pheasant guide. I can't be a farmer. I can't be rent. I can't take care of rentals. I can't do any of that stuff. But he can. There's way too much on my plate, but there's not too much. I can run with horses now. This horse gets tired, but I can run with them. Hallelujah. I can run with horses. How are you going to run with horses if you can't run with men? Well, here's uh, the one that's not a parable. We went through the parable of the banquet. We went through a little bit through the parable of the virgins. I just want to say at the end of that parable, five virgins ran quickly to go get oil. I don't know how verbally I'm going to be able to get this to you, but you don't just quickly get oil. You just can't quickly decide, well, I'll get saved later. I'll get right with Jesus later. When you have any kind of inkling to get right with Jesus, begin that process now. Get that oil now. And like I said, uh, that may come out more clear as I continue and complete this sermon. But um, I just want to mention that because they ran to get the oil. And when they came back, the door was shut. And guess what he said? He said, I never knew you. Get away from here. Shut the door. And they said, let us in, let us in. he says, I don't know them guys. I don't know them. You ever been married to somebody and you don't know them? I don't want that ever to be. I want my wife and I to know each other deeper every day of the, of the week, every day of the year, every day of the century. I want us to get to know each other. But guess what was happening with those virgins? They hadn't been praying. They hadn't been thinking about the wedding. They'd just been doing their own thing, and they let the oil dry up. There wasn't a relationship going on. I'll prove it to you in these next scriptures. And then this last one's not a parable. It's actually us. It says, one of the seven angels in Revelations 21, 9 and 10 I, don't, I guess we don't have that one. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues and carried me away in the spirit to a great mountain, great and high. <laughs> seven. I don't know if there's eight plagues. Maybe COVID is a precursor to the last seven. But it says, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I'm going to show you the bride. I want to show you the bride. The angel said to John, I want to show you the bride. Do you want to be showed off? Have you made yourself pure? It says, because we have this hope, we make ourselves pure. And they're going to show you the bride. And, and the bride's going to be shown to people. And the bride's going to be shown to him. And it's going to be presented to him. Come, I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb, the one that died for his bride. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain high and great, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Let's rejoice and be glad in verse, uh, now I'm going to Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Let's rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the holy people, God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Blessed are those that are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He gave us parables, and now he's given us the real deal. We get to see into heaven, and someday we're going to be part of this vision if we've made ourselves 
clean and pure through the righteous garments that he gives us. I just want to say something about my wife. Most men marry somebody that wears a white wedding gown. Well, my wife being different than any other women I've ever met, that's why I married her, uh, she wore a red one and a white one. So oh, there's a lace and whatever with all kinds of red and below it and under it. And, and that's because she has the garments of the forgiveness being expunged from her sins, being clean from, from what the Lord did in her life. So I, he's going to give us garments just like was at my wedding, and people are going to understand it's because of the blood of the Lamb that we get to go. But it's not, we don't get to go just because of the blood of the Lamb. We have to have a heart for God. We have to have a commitment to God. We have to be showing that our heart is sincere with God. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be working with the chief cornerstone. All right, here's the, here's the part I promised that we'd talk to the church a little bit more about. <clears throat> At this point, um, I'm, not, I, I, I'm getting better at not saying what I was going to say. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is chapter 21 of Revelations. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There is no more any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now it talks about in here that he is the light and he is everything, so that he is going to be the temple in the city, and yet we are the city that he lights up. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell with them, and they'll be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he'll be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they'll be my children. And now in these last little verse, it doesn't spend a lot of time, but it's got a lot of meaning. But do you see the beauty of the bride coming down? Do you see the beauty of the relationship? Do you see the beauty of how he wipes our tears away? No wonder he said, pray the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He wants us to experience heaven on earth. He wants us to be able to run with horses. He wants us to be victorious. He wants us to bring other people in our train into victory. He wants us to have victory. And then there's this one little verse of warning. And it says, God, but the cowardly, verse 8, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they'll be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So there's, there's the beautiful bride, there's the reunion with God, and then there's those that don't make it. I want you to know God's asking today. I know that I know that I know he's asking today. Are you ready? Are you ready? The Bible says in Corinthians, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. There's a lot of scriptures that talk about making sure. Peter talks about the same thing. To make your hope and election sure. Make it sure. 
Don't just be self-assured because you live in the United States and everything's going well. God's not looking at everything going well. He's looking at whether or not he has intimacy with you. Does he know you or does he not know you? I just keep thinking, so many places in the Bible, he says, and the door was shut, and they called him Lord, but he said, I didn't know you. I didn't know you. I didn't have a relationship. You felt my love, but we never, you know, it's kind of like we all come to church and we talk. We all go to our homes and we talk. And we've all got relatives and we talk. But then when everybody leaves, two people stay around. Let's just say, for instance, two, two people stay around, stick around, and they begin to talk. And there's a real relationship going on. God can touch us in church. God can touch us out there on the, in the street. But do we have a relationship with him? Or does he just touch us like his rebellious children that he just keeps loving on, keeps loving? Oh, good, he loves me, I'm all right. He loves you, maybe you're not all right. He loves you, maybe you're not all right, but it's all right to be not all right as long as you understand you're not all right so you can get right. Because he's not against you, he's for you. No matter how evil you've been or how much you've forsaken or how much you've taken Satan's bait, he's, he's longing for you to make it. Because he wants a relationship. He doesn't just want you to make it to heaven and live out there somewhere without him. He wants a relationship. He wants you to make it so you don't have to go to hell. But more than anything, he wants you because he wants you. So it says here there are things that we can do that would disqualify us from this amazing reunion in heaven. It says the cowardly will not be there. And I wonder, well, what does cowardly mean? Cowardly means scared, spineless, gutless, yellow, fearful. I can remember the first time I ever seen this verse. I thought, why would God not let a scared person into heaven? That just doesn't seem right. The cowardly and unbelieving don't get to go to heaven. The cowardly, the scared, the yellow, the spineless, the gutless, the fearful don't get to go. It's plain as day. They don't get to go. They get to go to the lake of burning sulfur. That's the second death. I've had a tendency to be scared. I'm human. Anybody that's not, they're putting on a pretty good front. But in and of myself, I'm human. In and of myself, I can only run with men. But when I feel scared, and I do often, I run to him. And I run to him all the time. And there's a verse in the Bible in chapter 4 of Acts, verse 31. It says, and they prayed. They ran to him. And they prayed, and the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There were leaders surrounding them. There were people doing flogging at this time. There were people putting them into jail overnight. And here they go. And they prayed and said, Lord, help us. And all of a sudden, they were bold, went right back out and said, we got to help people understand they can be the bride of Christ. It's all about relationship. And it's like, if we have to die, Lord, help us. And then it says, things were shooken, shaken, and, and they went out and boldly. Acts 1.8 says, but you received power. That's the same as boldness. Boldness when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses 
Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to other parts of the earth. You'll be my witnesses. You'll be bold. You'll be running with horses. You can do it. There's nothing we can't do, folks. 2 Timothy 2.12, For I know in whom I have believed, I'm persuaded he's able to keep what I've committed. They're going through, they're going through pressure when he's writing this. Read it. 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, and that whole area, and that whole chapter. I know in whom I believe, and I'm persuaded he's going to keep what I've committed to that day. He hasn't given me a spirit of fear, or, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So go after that spirit. And I started to say it three or four, at least three times earlier, I think. But there's a way, because we're going to go through probably almost every one of these, if not every one, real quick. And there's a way to have victory over every last one of these. The oil, the Holy Spirit just gave me this the other day, the oil, the oil is in speaking in tongues. The oil is in worship. The oil is in prayer. You need oil. The oil had run dry for the virgins, but it doesn't have to run dry for us. The answer to cowardice, the answer to being a coward, to being scared and yellow and fearful and the answer to that is pray in the spirit and pray and speak the word of God speak the word and pray in the spirit 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 you have a problem with being cowardly go after God worship worship him the answer is in the oil the oil is the answer. The answer is in the oil. When the night is dark and it's all midnight, the answer is in the oil. The answer is in the oil. We can't be satisfied with just enough oil to limp to the next safety spot because pretty soon the next safety spot's going to be too far away. The answer is in the oil. And there's oil in prayer and worship and speaking the word and fellowship. Get the oil. Whatever it takes, get the oil. And the answer will come in the oil. Let's see, just a moment, give me a moment here. Hallelujah, Jesus. Okay, we've got, <clears throat> the next one says the vile, at least in my version. The cowardly, the unbelieving, and the vile. Let's go with vile first, and we'll go back to unbelieving. Uh, vile is offensive in a way that makes you want to leave. It's, it means to be evil or without morals. The vile, these kind of people aren't going to go to heaven. A person who takes advantage of the poor or the sick those people aren't going to go to heaven. Thoroughly disgusting. They'll be shut out. Shameful. Vile people are shameful people. Hateful and repugnant people. Um, like I said, we're going to go quick over some of these. Now let's go to unbelieving. This is the one that I feel throughout the time of Jesus' time on earth probably affected his heart. We could go through a whole sermon or two of that, but we won't. We're just going to, I'm just going to put this 
out there to you. Back in 1990, I went through a, a back problem and God healed my back miraculously, big time. And so I could be a roofer and do things that normal men can't even do. But um, at that time, I, I, if I remember right, it was that exact same time. I felt like putting my hand up sometimes and just cursing God and dying, just like Job, you know. And I hadn't had that experience since 1990, 1989, that area of time, until the last couple of years. And I can't say that I really felt like that, but some of these kind of thoughts would come to me. They're unbelieving thoughts. God is not real, or he's not who he says he is. God is evil. God is just playing a game with us like a chess set. He's trying to trick us. And so I've had some bouts with unbelief in a big way in the last couple of years. They, they haven't been recent, but the last couple of years up till maybe four or five months ago, um, just, just really evil, evil thoughts. And the, again, the oil, the answer's in the oil, but the oil is in his presence. The oil is in his presence. And when I cannot seem to believe in God, or I feel some attributes being given to him that really isn't him, but I'm not sure. But, the, you know, you're under that oppression. You're under the attack of the enemy. It's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. It's exactly what he did in, in, uh, when Jesus was in the desert. He tries to make God look bad or God look like a game player. You know, throw yourself over this, off this temple and ah, the angels will bear you up. He's not playing games. This is real. And Jesus said, don't tempt the Lord to God. The Bible says, don't tempt the Lord your God. Make sure any verses you have come from his presence and his anointing. That's all you need to do. All you need to do to have a verse that works is make sure it's anointed from him. And if it's not anointed, there won't be total assurance and total freedom. <laughs> but, but I've learned when I'm beginning to doubt. And so just being kind of open with you, even this guy doubts sometimes. It goes away so quick if I'm in his presence. And there is no way that you can't believe that God is good and God is for us and God wants the best for us. In his presence, you see the real him. You get to see who he really is. In his presence, he's the best. And all I got to do, you'll never, ever, ever get anything other than that in his presence. All I got to do is figure out how to get where the oil is. If I can get to the oil, I can get free, and I can stomp some devils down. And if I have that attitude and that oil, somebody else is attracted to my husband. Somebody else is attracted to my God. When they see the freedom of my life, it has a tendency to attract them to him. But if I'm fighting this stuff out here somewhere where his presence isn't at, they can help me go downhill. I can't help them come uphill. Hebrews 11.6 says this about unbelieving. It says, For without faith it is impossible to please God, for anybody that comes to him must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe he is, and I believe he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He has never, ever, not once, in a zillion or at least 59 and three quarters years, he has never failed me yet when I seek him. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I've got stuff in my life that I would have lost 
One of them was my health. One of them was my wife. One of them was my son. There's a lot of stuff I would have lost, but he helps me win every time. I still remember when Isaac was going to commit, did try to commit suicide, and they finally pushed a bunch of new blood through him, and uh, he came back to life. And I remember before that, I, I looked at Jenny, and I looked at our pastor, Steve, from uh, the superintendent, and I said, I said, if, if we lose this one, it'll be the first fight I've ever lost. I don't know, that's the way I see it. I mean, any, the first important fight, the one that I really needed. You know, if you fight for something that you really want, he'll come through. It's what he said. He said, whatever things you desire when you pray, believe you've got them, they're yours. They're mine. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's who I'm married to. I don't want to go to hell. But more than that, I don't want to miss him. I remember years when, when I first got saved, I thought, you know, even if there's not a hell, I sure don't want to miss heaven. Even if there was just ceased to exist. I don't want to miss Godzillions of years in bliss, joy, meaningfulness, purpose, related with Jesus. I got to tell you, there's a hell. For whatever reason, there's a just God, and this loving God is also just. For whatever reason, there's eternal punishment. We need to hear the truth again, don't we? Maybe our world would get back on track if we heard some truth. Instead of everybody that dies, well, they're in a better place. No, they're not. Not according to my Bible. Because too many of them look like this. Too many of them that the preacher said made it and they're in a better place now are cowards, they're vile, they're unbelieving. Murderers. How many murderers do we have here today? Murderers will be thrown into the lake of fiery sulfur, burning sulfur. 1 John 3, 14 through 15. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anybody who does not love remains in death. Anybody that hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that there's no murderers, that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. I don't know what hate is, but I know it's murder. But I'm not sure what hate is. Is hate just ignoring somebody all the time? Is hate just talking behind their back? Is hate just being perturbed at them all the time? Where you can't say anything ever good about them? Is hate when you have all those conditions, but you never have a, a weeping that they would make it, that they would be able to get on their feet again? I don't know what hate is, but I know it's murder. I wonder how many murderers we have in our churches today. I like how Christina prayed this morning. Bible says somewhere, she, read, she said it, but uh, we're not supposed to even be partners with people that act like this because we could become like that. We spend too much time with some of these people, these murderers. We need to help them get saved. Whew. Another doubting God verse. God won't really do what he says he'll do. Well, I get my scriptures out. You know what? Lies don't just create themselves out in the air. 
Lies come from demonic sources. Numbers 23, 19, be well if everybody memorized it because it's such, it's such a vivid remedy for the lie of the devil. And when he says God is like this or God is like that or, or like Adam and Eve and, and, he, and he says, God, sure, you surely won't die. But God said, you surely will die. And the devil says, no, you surely won't die. You know, so when you get lies like that, instead of eating the fruit, you look at that demonic thing and you say, and hope it's not coming out of one of your family members, but you say, you look right at him like Jesus did to Peter. God is not man that he would lie. He's not the son of man that he would change his mind. Hasn't he said and won't he do it? Or hasn't he spoken and won't he make it good? God's not man that he should lie. He's not the son of man he's going to change his mind. He's not like us. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. Now get out of my face, devil. Yeah, that's language for I'm not happy for the de- I'm not happy with the devil. The answer is in his presence. The answer, the oil is in his presence. Let me put it that way. The oil is in his presence. The oil to combat this stuff is in his presence. Get in his word, get in his presence, get back in the battle. This thing was never He said count the cost. He said, count the cost. He says, don't give your life to me. Count the cost. I want real people. I want the real deal. So if you haven't stepped into the battle, today is the day to come to the altar. We're going to have that. We're going to have an altar call in a moment. Today is the day to come to the altar and make that commitment or else come to the altar and say, that, that's too pricey. You mean I got to love somebody that has been rubbing me the wrong way for 13 years, three years, 18 years, two years. You mean I got to love my kids? I wasn't talking about them, but. (laughs) God's been changing my heart. There's people I'm watching, and I just love them, and they need Jesus so much. And in the normal Mark Apple that can't run with horses, Instead of me loving them, there'd be, I'd be perturbed at them. I would hate them. I would speak against them. That's not what Jesus called us to do because that isn't what he did for us. The answer is in the oil. The oil is in his presence. Sexual immorality. We're going to quit on this one. Uh, there's several other ones, but you get the idea. You need your own scriptures. You need to dig. You need to find warfare things. Uh, you need to find ammunition to be able to fight the good fight and persevere to the end because that's where the crown comes. That's where we get to sit on the throne with him. It's nothing compared to what we get. The pain and the struggle, absolutely not worth. Paul didn't say it's nothing compared to, the suffering is nothing compared to what we get. He says don't even compare it. He says it's not even worth comparing For our sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He said it's not worth the comparison. If you get your eyes on that little piece of suffering, which could be really, really big in your life, it's nothing compared to the really, really, really big in my life, the Jesus in my life. It looks, it would be too bad if we started comparing the suffering because we'd start looking at it. And it just start growing. And all of a sudden it becomes more important than the glory that is ours. 
Hallelujah. I need to read this sexually immoral one. We hit it just a little bit. Uh, in our world, in our day and age, we've got internet. That's a pitiful shame. I've seen things on the internet that I didn't see before I was saved even. But starting around 2006, 7, somewhere in there, I got a hold of one of these. And they tell you to press buttons and they make you want to look at stuff. And, and I looked at more than I should. But I'll tell you what, I have victory over it. I want more victory because sometimes it still pulls. And to me, I don't have total victory if it's still pulling. The first thing I should do when, I, when something pulls, I should have the AK-47. I should have a major big verse. I should be able to knock that baby out right now, right then. I know that thing's deceptive. That woman isn't a good-looking woman. That woman's got perversion all over her. And I don't need to be part of that. Yes, in our day and age, we can walk, run with horses. We can overcome this thing. The sexually immoral can't go to heaven. Sexually immoral can't have intimacy with Jesus. The Bible, I think, says in Proverbs, is like you're, you become like a loaf of bread when you practice that type of stuff. In other words, just, just a soft nothing, kind of like that coward thing, yellow, scared, fearful. Because what? You filled up on something other than Jesus. <clears throat> Here's what the Bible says about sexual immorality. In Ephesians 4.19, it says, having lost all sensitivity. So I always, I don't always, I don't always, just a minute here. I don't always, but I do at times. I look at a person that I feel is, and they've given me plenty of proof, that they're involved in sexual immorality. And, it'll, and I'll think of this verse, and I'll think, I don't care how sensitive they look on the outside. The Bible here says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. A person that's messed up with pornography, God loves deeply from his heart. But that person has lost sensitivity, and they can get it back, and maybe they're in the process of getting it back, but you need to make sure you get it back. Because it's guaranteed victory. Jesus is our guaranteed victory. Okay, one version says, having lost all sensitivity. King James says, being past feeling. The ESV says, becoming callous. They've given themselves over to sensuality, so as in indulge in every kind of impurity. And then Ephesians chapter 3, verse uh, 7, or no, five, chapter 5, verse 3, it says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, not even a hint, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place. Okay, this one gets me in a lot of, loses, I lose a lot of friends over this one. I can't hear the best as it is, although I'm praying my hearing's coming back, so in the name of Jesus, hearing you're coming back, don't forget that. Um, but when I hear people, they probably think I didn't hear them. But for some reason, I can hear a bad joke. I can hear obscenity, coarse joking, and foolish talk. I can hear it from the pulpit. I've heard people, from, I just heard recently from a, somebody that won't go to a certain church because they heard it from the pulpit in South Dakota, not too far from here. It's become so infiltrating in the body of Christ. Well, is the body of the Christ the body of Christ if it's not going to heaven? Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, they're out of place. 
but rather thanksgiving, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such in a person as an idolater. If you're immoral, you're impure, you're greedy, you just have idols, that's what it says. You just have idols. Has anybody like this doesn't have inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? That's in uh, chapter 5 of Ephesians 3 through 7. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them. Okay, let's have an altar call. Let's have time with Jesus. Let's all stand. Um, I'm going to skip some of these things because I know that time is getting low. So I just want to so. You know, and I'll pray here. If anybody wants to come to the altar, please come. If you want to just come where you're at, just stay where you're at. But uh, something about coming forward and having somebody pray with you, if you want somebody to pray with you, a lot of times uh, the Holy Spirit uh, blesses that and people uh, get delivered. It says, if you're into drugs, magic arts, and sorcery, if you're a liar or if you're an idolater, none of these people can go to heaven. I have one verse I want to tell you that I really use when I want to press the wrong button on the internet. And this verse is uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Don't you know, no, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside the body, but he that sins sexually sins against his own body. Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Flee from sexual immorality, all other sins. And I don't know, it's just something about that word flee helps me not even get a second look at the place they want you to push. You know, they got them little places. They're not bad yet, but they're pretty bad. I mean, they're going to, you know they're going to take you bad. And you see it, and it's like flee sexual immorality. That's the first thing that comes to my mind anymore. Flee sexual immorality. For all the other sins are outside the body, but whatever this thing is, it's bad. It's worse than every other sin. So uh, we need to... Um, we need to understand that God is coming back. He wants you to be ready. He wants you to be ready now. He doesn't want to come at midnight like the 10 virgins. At midnight, the bridegroom came. Five were ready and five were not. I wonder if five are ready here and five are not. I wonder if I'm not quite as ready as I want to be. I definitely am not as ready as I want to be. I know I'm ready. I know I'm ready, but I want to get closer. I want that relationship to get built. So let's look to Jesus right now. Everybody, just come forward if you'd like. If you can find room, uh, come forward. And that, I really believe a message like this, God can bless you in a major way. Jenny might pray for you. I might pray for you. Uh, you can pray by yourself. Uh, but let's go after God for just a few moments here as we end. Hallelujah, Father God. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to altar the father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of jesus christ leave behind your regrets and mistakes there's no reason.
Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. going to say a little bit more, then I'm going to pray a little, and then I'd like you to just go through that whole song one more time when I'm done praying. Um, part of what really sprung this um, whole message on me was this. The, Paul was going through shipwreck. He was going through lashings. Didn't matter how much he got beat up. He was always trying to bring somebody to Jesus. That's what it's all about today. We're trying to bring each one of us closer to him, and we're trying to bring people to Jesus. And it says here in um, Acts 20, 19, it says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach everything that would be helpful to you. I've taught you publicly. I've taught you from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by His Spirit, I'm going to keep going. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Now listen to this. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I can finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus gave me, the task to testify to the good news of God's grace. And he finishes up by saying, So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning every one of you, night and day with tears. For three years I warned you day and night. The heart of Paul, can you imagine the heart of Paul? There's no condemnation in this, but he told them how it was and how they could have Jesus. And they don't have to be hung up on all their religiosity and all their... Uh, uh, sins and all of their self-righteousness they could actually have Jesus and Paul warned them day and night with tears I want you to know Jesus had more tears than Paul Jesus wants you to get delivered more than even Paul could want you that but Jesus's heart was in Paul and he had shared his heart with Paul but I'm telling you Jesus loves you he sees your pain he sees what you're going through he sees which one of these problems has you attached to it and you can't get free and he's telling you today nothing is impossible with God let this be your starting point nothing is impossible with God and today I the Spirit of the Lord is on me I'm gonna tell you what the Lord says in the Bible the Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to comfort all who mourn and provide for those that grieve 
to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. You may be messed up. You may be grieving, but he's going to call you an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. He wants to display you as his splendor. And he can do it if you just keep coming and saying, how, Lord? How, Lord? Help me, Lord. Help me stand. Help me walk. Help me win in Jesus' name. Everybody can win. I want you to know, don't you dare go out of here thinking you can't win. The, the, the uh, total verification is in who he is. And he is the one saying nothing is impossible with God. And you are more than conquerors through him that loves you. And he loves you right where you're at. Learn how to get into the war. Learn how to get in the battle. And learn how to go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I want you to know that if you haven't given your life to God, or if you're giving your life back to God, it says, this is how you say it. You can say it any way you want, but this is what you mean. Father God, not my will, but your will be done. I turn from my old ways, and with all my heart I'm going to you. Not my will, but your will be done. I'm bought with a price. I'm not my own. I belong to Christ. I'm bought with a price. I'm all yours. Now you show me the way. You're my chief cornerstone. You're the one that shows me. You're the one that leads me along. You're the one that takes me gently. You're the one that teaches my hands to war. Father God, I give my life to you. I'm not my own. I belong to you. I'm bought with a price in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, awesome God. Hallelujah. If anybody did that as a recommitment or as a first-time commitment, you're going to heaven right now. Learn how to, to come up to one of us today, and we'll show you how to get started in this battle to stay strong and to get to know the guy that did all he could ever do that no one else could do to get you into the gates of heaven. Worthy is our God. We'll show you how in Jesus' name. It's not complicated, but people make it complicated. It's very, very simple. So simple a little child can follow him. Hallelujah. He likes you guys. He likes you guys an awful bunch. Hallelujah. Bless. And the blessing of the Lord be on you. May his face shine on you. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Okay, let's just worship with this song. If you got to go, go ahead and go. But if you can stay, let's go deeper in him right now.